I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted, to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello there, Lynx. Hi. How are you? I'm happy. I'm excited to hear this. I'm great. You made it here in the snow. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty brutal out there right now, but it's nice and warm in here and cozy. Good. Wow. Okay. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm doing okay. You know, just like I think a little bit of general malaise. Hmm. That comes <laughs> with this time of year for sure. Comes with this time of year. Maybe comes from being like coming down from a birthday high. Yes. Um, it's just like one of those days where like the littlest things were getting on my nerves Aww. and I'm just like, cool it. Like this really isn't bad <laughs> in the, like the grand scheme of things. But everything from like, I couldn't find this little like white doodad to like to hook up our recording. And I was like, Bleh, where is it? <laughs> and and I went to the gym and the steam room wasn't working. And I was like, this is why I come to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But you had a good weekend? I had a great weekend. But I brought our recording table out here yes. into the living room today because I really like the vibes of, of my room, which we've been doing lately. But today I couldn't emotionally handle the sounds <laughs> of the streets. Because, you know, like, and it's, I guess it's getting busier at this time or maybe I'm just noticing it. And mm. I couldn't, I wouldn't, I can't 
handle it today. So that I brought the table into the living room and I realized that they're doing work in the other yeah. room. And so I'm like, you know what? <laughs> let go, let God. Yeah. Let's just... Let's it was a great weekend. It. Thank you for bringing me my birthday gift, which is actually I'll just post it, but it's a Fleetwood Mac rumors amazing, which print, is very fitting. Which is very very fitting because today I present to you, yes, the story of Carol Ann Harris, and it's based on her book Storms. Yes, I've had this book for a while. I've been wanting to read it. I haven't gotten around to it. I'm really excited to hear uh, all about it. I'm excited to tell you about it. Um, it's very much on point with last week's episode in terms of we're going to be talking a lot about uh, abuse and uh, drugs and that kind of stuff. So it's it's a little bit heavy. It's a heavier episode. Okay. Which I really didn't expect when you sent me the link to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of books. Yeah. Pamela, did you see what she wrote on uh, on Facebook about I, getting her new book? Like, no, it's going to be happening. No way! It's I, called Sex, God, and Rock and Roll. Oh, awesome! I think I remember her talking about this one for a while. So I know it's like been in the works, but I didn't know that it's like been picked up and everything. And somebody was like, "What's it about?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy. Okay, so the story of Carol Ann Harris, um, this talks about her nine-year relationship, so she was in like a common-law relationship with Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. I had no idea they were together that long. I know, right? They were. She was there for all of it. Um, They had been engaged, but she kept putting off the wedding, as you'll find out why as the story moves along um the story starts in 1976 where she worked as a studio manager at producers workshop so she was in the music biz um rumors was getting the final touches Mm -hmm. put on it and she met Lindsay buckingham as he was in the studio mixing with richard dashett um she was building her career as a sound engineer. Nice. And she, yeah, oh. it was nice oh, that no. she was building her a career. <laughs> okay. Um, and then things changed. Yeah. Things changed as soon as she met Lindsay. Damn. And basically, yeah. she put everything into their relationship. Uh, so many women do that. A lot of our women, yeah. yeah. It's definitely a common thing. Um... And so as we know, uh, rumors would go on to sell. I don't even know how much. A gajillion (laughs) copies. And uh, it would sell more than any Beatles album. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was the like highest selling album of all time. Wow. Uh, So Fleetwood Mac had had one. The Fleetwood Mac with Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks had had one album before that. Mm -hmm. Um when they had joined after being Buckingham Knicks. Yeah. And uh, so she met Lindsay and straight away he was like showing up in her office and like being like, can I have some coffee? And she'd just like point to the coffee <laughs> machine and be like, there it is. And he'd stand around talking to her. Um, 
she says about their relationship and their time together i was access all areas public and private privy to the infighting like the others i was shielded from reality but like unlike the other insiders i recorded what i saw and felt secretly on tape as a sort of diary that helped me think things through and these tapes came close to destroying fleetwood mac and they almost destroyed me too Mm -hmm. so we'll get into those wow um she says that like all in all there's about 16 of them that were really in the close group of fleetwood mac which include the band and the partners um and like they're really close people that worked with them uh she said that they were in the family we were part religious cult part sex surrogates part battle partners or sworn enemies but always drifting as one we were an incestuous intense self-sufficient group crowding around and protecting the five members at its hub interesting yeah so nothing could really hurt the band members except for the band themselves Mm. yeah so she traveled the most out of all of the partners um which included jenny boyd of course Yay. Yeah. Um, and so she says, my reasons for writing this book are twofold. First, as an eyewitness, I want to share with you the highs, the lows, the truth behind the lies, the loving and the hating that all went to make up an extraordinary band. Yeah, she had a really uh, perfect view of all that oh yeah (laughs) then there's a second more personal reason for this book in the years since i escaped from the inner circle and i had to escape as you will see i have exercised some demons and made some sense of the beautiful insanity that was fleetwood mac at its most transcendent during the years from 1976 to 1984 but with one minor exception i had never given any interviews or sought publicity i prefer not being quoted to being quoted inaccurately which she ended up being like once Okay. Here in this book, I want to go on the record, testify, if you will, about a time in my life that was happy, tragic, historic, and resonant with the music of its era. Cool. Yeah. So it was definitely love or lust at first sight when she met Lindsay. And uh, one of those times when he would, like, flirt with her in her office, he'd be like, so, you know, I broke up with my girlfriend? And she'd be like, oh, did you? And he'd be like, yeah, you know, Stevie Nicks? (laughs) And she'd be like, no, really? (laughs) But she knew because she had been a fan of the band um, even since the 60s when Mick Fleetwood was at the helm and uh, Buckingham Knicks were still Buckingham and Knicks. Cool. Yeah. So her upbringing is that she was from Tulsa, Oklahoma and came from a family. Uh, in total, there were seven sisters. Like, So wow. there was her and she had six sisters. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, she came from a loving and stable home with two parents who were very loving. And like me, the public library was her second home. Oh, yeah. She loved to read. Cool. Her dad was a Tulsa City engineer and a substitute math teacher because, you know, you got to make the funds for those seven <laughs> daughters. And she said that he was a gentleman who bore a strikingly resemblance to Clark Gable. Ooh. <laughs> you like that? Ooh. Mm. Doesn't that isn't that what uh, Miss P says about her dad as well? Yeah, I feel like that's familiar. Mm. She says that her parents used humor and love as uh, like that's what they used as discipline. Um, they never yelled at. Her sisters had all gone to college and gotten to gotten degrees, and her sisters all stayed in Tulsa. Um, but she never felt that staying there was a part of her destiny. I hear you, sister. I hear you. 
In second grade, she fell in love with rock and roll. Um, she had Beatles albums and then later Doors records. And she carried them over to her friends' houses and they'd play them nonstop. In the sixth grade, she took a picture of, of John Lennon to a hair salon and had her hair cut into a classic Beatles cut. Oh my god! Which she said, of course, looked ridiculous, so she let it grow out. That's so cute, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She'd fall. Well, it's kind of funny because when I was in university, I was watching a lot of the Mighty Boosh and like, I love no field oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. And I like actually cut my hair like his. <laughs> like for the first time in my life, I had short hair and it was part Noel Fielding, part <laughs> Shannon Sossman from the Rules of Attraction. Awesome. Um, she'd fall asleep listening to the radio. And at the time, CCR, Cream, The Kinks, Led Zeppelin were all on. And she said the, that rock and roll had become the most important thing in her life. Her and her friend Lori went to every single concert that rolled into town. And after she graduated, her and Lori hit Route 66 all the way to L.A. Nice. She really wanted to be in the place that was the mecca for all things rock and roll. She picked a good place then. Yeah. On her first day in L.A., she met a man named John. And they immediately got together. Wow. And she very quickly became pregnant. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, she did have the baby. Oh, really? She did. But because John was awful. Yeah. Um, she just realized that, like, they couldn't give the baby what she really needed. And she named the baby Claire. I don't know if she kept the name. But she ended up giving the baby up for adoption. Okay. And after that, like... They never talked about it, and John just kind of pretended like it never happened. And, anyways, um, one thing that her and John did do together was make bootleg records. Uh, so she'd go to concerts like the Stones, Bowie, Dylan, and they recorded the show <laughs> using a shotgun microphone and a tiny reel, um, a tiny reel to reel Negro recorder, and then mixed the tapes, designed the album covers. Uh, and brought so? them to pressing plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, when Christine uh, McVie first heard about this, she was like, "You're not going to do any bootlegs of us, <laughs> are you?" She's like, "No." <laughs> and she didn't realize at the time, like, <laughs> like how shitty that was. Yeah. But later, and it ended up coming back to her later, and and the band actually heard the bootleg records and it ended up being like really rare ended up yeah. a rare recording yeah so then they were happy to have it it is one of those interesting things i mean you're profiting off someone else's music but you're preserving like history really yeah mm, yeah hmm so she was training to be a recording energy engineer and working as a studio manager um, she was like young in her early twenties and, uh, then that's when she met Lindsay. So he was, uh, she says he was already attached or bound in chains <laughs> to the family that was Fleetwood Mac. And she felt that even just meeting him, she had already cheated on her boyfriend. And even though I got gotcha. like physically nothing yeah. happened, she just... The connection was there. Yeah, like Lindsay claimed her. Yeah, is what she said, Ooh. and which is going to be some like real foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she said, "Oh, like she began to meet the band, and that 
Stevie Nicks's star power was blinding and mm. that she was the most mesmerizing woman she had ever seen. I believe it. Mm. She wasn't too pleased about Stevie wasn't pleased about Lindsay bringing her in because it was his first serious relationship since the two of yeah. them broke up. Um, so she just kind of tried to stay out of her way, hoping that maybe one day they could have some sort of friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, Lindsay and Carol Ann got really romantically close when they went to go see a movie together and she then had his, her head on his shoulder and her hand on his chest and could feel his heart beating and it took them a really long time to get back to the studio because at every like red light they would stop and kiss <laughs> passionately and furiously. That's the best phase of the relationship when mm. you're like just so crazy about each other yeah um he invited her to go into the recording studio and she was the, one of the only people outside of the Fleetwood Mac family that got to hear the album before it came out and was actually asked for her opinion on it wow obviously she loved it yeah how can you not I listened to a lot of Fleetwood Mac when I listened to this episode. Like, almost uh, yeah. all of their albums. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even the live ones. Uh, they're so good. The live ones are awesome, too. Um, already, at this point, the band was very involved with drugs. Of, yeah. Um, I watched the VH1 behind the music on... Uh, Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. And they said that they really didn't know how bad it was. You mean, and like, how the bad drugs. drugs? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they didn't know it was that bad for them. I I believe that. Same with, like, last week with, like, you know, all the crack cocaine and stuff. It, that was, like, the first time that was kind of, sort of coming into the forefront. And I, mm -hmm. I can totally believe that these people didn't really realize, like, just how bad. Yeah. They just, like, thought it was, like, coffee. Exactly. Oh, this yeah. helps me stay awake. Pretty quickly, Lindsay proclaimed that he was falling in love with Carol Ann, and she recalls driving in her car and hearing Go Your Own Way come on the radio. Mm. And she just had one thought in her head. The man who's singing the song <laughs> is the man who just told me that he's falling in love with me. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. In February of 1977, Carol left John. She packed up just a few things like Claire's baby book and antique cradle, her clothes, family pictures, some kitchen stuff, and moved into her own apartment. She felt free, and she loved her job, and she felt in control for the first time. Um, but this wouldn't last no. too long because yeah. <laughs> her relationship with Lindsay Buckingham was tumultuous and abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, since his return from Aspen... Uh, she and Lindsay had fallen into a routine. She says, he picked me up every night at 6 p.m. And after a quick dinner, we returned to the privacy of my new apartment. We spent every night together, happy, relaxed, and in love. All of our nights were passionate, and our lovemaking this night had been no exception. I was exhausted and content as I fell asleep in his arms. Uh. Lindsay's insecurity and bad moods appeared really early on. Um, he would come close to tears worrying about the tour and if the album would do well and all of the fighting. It's so crazy how many of these rock stars are so insecure. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Rumors was going to be released soon. So I think listening to Go Your Own Way on the radio, they must have like played the album, like played a few songs off the album mm -hmm. before it got released. Yeah. They did that, right? Yeah, yeah. Or like probably like a single at the very least. Yeah. 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 
Lindsay wanted her beside him at all times when he asked. Mm. So like a drop of a hat. Um, I'm not sure if it was a demand at this point, but it would later be. And like yeah. a demand to go on tour, attend rehearsals. Um, one of the first scenes that she saw when she walked into rehearsals for the upcoming Rumors tour was like, the terrible way that Lindsay was treating Stevie. She was trying oh. to play the guitar and he was just like... Crabbing all over? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Mm-hmm. His expression was really mean, but when he saw Carol Ann, it totally changed mm. and he was like happy and he was like swinging around in his arms and like making this whole production out of it, which probably didn't help Stevie at this point either. For sure. Yeah, she says about Stevie, watching her, I realized that she was a combination of little girl and erotic fantasy with a smoky voice and an aura of mysticism that promised great pleasures and even greater dangers. She was a force to be reckoned with. That's a great description of her. Yeah. Yeah. So Carol Ann's 22 at this time, and she knew that she was no match for Stevie, but vowed that she would be there for Lindsay. Like it would take anything in her. She would do it. This is so similar again. Yeah, yeah, I know. So when you were telling me that, I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> um, she had never taken drugs and didn't drink. I was wondering about that, yeah. But it became a thing that she did starting started to consume a lot of cocaine. Uh, and if she, you were in that scene, I guess. You yeah, kind of... it got to the point where I think they were at an after party or it was just like in the middle of one of the shows where the road manager, JC, was like, here you go, have some of this. And also Christine had told them that like they were all a little bit suspicious about her because she, she wasn't because yeah. she was too sober. Yeah. So she thought, okay, I'll try the cocaine. And then it gave her confidence and it allowed her to stay up. And then she felt, okay, this is something that I can like, yeah, this is good for me actually, yeah. because I can stay awake and yeah, before, uh, before it becomes bad, it always becomes good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so no matter what, she said she didn't want anything to come between Lindsay and his music. Um, Dan Savage calls it like in a relationship, a price of admission. What are you willing to pay? Mm. And sometimes you have to like let certain things go. And for her, the price of admission was like, you have to come second to the music. Yeah. I don't think he ever, he didn't say that to her, but she just knew it. Yeah. So she knew if she wanted to be with this dream guy and she wanted to be involved in this world, it's just something that she'd have to accept. So she, she vowed that she'd never come between him and his music. She says, at once it was clear to me what Lindsay essentially was, half man and half pure music, savage, unformed, and fundamentally dangerous. And in Lindsay Buckingham's Behind the Music... Um, which I watched because when you start to see him become really abusive, I'm like, what the hell happened to him? Yeah. Like, what's his family life like? So I get into it and I watch and he seemed like he seemed to have a perfectly fine upbringing. His parents belonged to a country club. They were they yeah. seemed fi like he didn't lose his dad until he was in university. So they didn't talk about any real childhood traumas or yeah. anything like that. I. I always wonder how many of these musicians that have these abusive stories, if they'd never gotten into the drugs that they did, mm. how different a person they would have been at that yeah. period. Yeah. Um, but even Brian Wilson in this VH1 thing called him dangerous. Wow. Yeah. He just gave off this like, yeah, like you just don't fuck with Lindsay Buckingham. Yeah. 
Um, which is interesting because I didn't realize this when I was watching these documentaries that Lindsay Buckingham had this like really soft spoken kind <laughs> yeah. of like kind of weird voice. Yeah. And it's not what I was expecting. No, he does kind of have a menacing demeanor now that I think about it. Though. Yeah. Yeah. The band was about to start the tour to, propo- to promote rumors and had some time off before to get rest, to get ready, and party. A few of them went to Hawaii or Mexico, but Lindsay took Carol Ann home. He showed her his high school, talked about the band Fritz that he had been in with, Lin- uh, with um, Stevie, and his love for Elvis. And that's why he learned to play the guitar. Um, she describes feelings like she was in a dream. She could not believe her reality. Her world was going to get even more wild once rumors was released and everyone in the band's lives changed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Once it was released, she says, promotions, interviews, and magazine articles were appearing daily. I'd leave work at 6, drive to Lindsay's for a dinner date, and have to wait in the living room while reporters interviewed him and photographers shot close-ups for yet another article or newspaper or magazine. After a month of this, I got as used to it as the rest of the band did, and the surreal world of rock icons quickly became part of my daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, Lindsay invited Caroline on tour with them and she believed that he really needed her there by his side because of this um, she really thought that her job was to take care of him yeah. that he needed somebody to take care of him and so that was just like yeah that's I can do that I can meet his needs um, a really interesting part of the book is like watching how the backstage changed how things happened how it evolved what kind of food was laid out and obviously never touched because of the amount of drugs <laughs> yeah. they used yeah um she stood at the side of the stage almost every night nice yeah um i would too <laughs> yeah and so she got to feel what was coming off of the audience yeah. and what the band felt she says, I knew he was a member of a well-known ma- a band. I'd been there with him in the last stages of producing the album. I knew he was special and talented. But up to now, I'd felt warmed there with him in bed at nights laughing, being with him during the days that I was the only person who could ever shower him with love. I thought that was all he needed to make him happy. I had no real comprehension of what it was that drove an artist to put himself through fire. Lindsay the man was happy enough with me, but his talent demanded the recognition of this mass of open mouths, open arms, open desires his talent was a separate entity an energy that fed off and into this voltage i was totally unprepared i was sharing him with something that i could never match mm. that's good that's interesting yeah yeah after the concert she helped Lindsay undress washed his bandaged hands that had torn been torn open by playing the guitar she felt that she was his protector oh um rumors had sold a million copies in the first 11 days of its release so that means that it went platinum um within a month it reached number one on billboard's album chart and as i said in the beginning was on its way to making uh history so sold out shows magazine cover shoots was an everyday occurrence um one day Lindsay showed up at her work and pretty much just took her home with him Aww. So she was that now living yeah. with him. Uh, she talks about the, like the Rolling Stone photo shoot that they did with Annie Leibovitz. Oh yeah, where they're all in in bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a really great album cover that you guys should definitely check out. And of Annie, she says, suddenly I heard a loud voice calling out from Lindsay's spare bedroom. Come on, you guys, quit fucking around in there. I need you in here now. 
The voice was followed by the appearance of a woman with cropped short brown hair dressed in shorts and a t-shirt. It was clear that Annie Leibovitz was used to being obeyed and she carried herself with an authority that spoke of numerous encounters with crazed rock and rollers. <laughs> I love her so much. I'd like to know more about her. Yeah. Her story. Definitely gotta do an episode on Annie one time. Yeah. Okay. The band was getting ready to leave for a big European tour and Carol Ann had once again been invited requested demanded yeah. to go <laughs> she told her boss ed that she was taking off work and putting a pause on her training as a sound engineer to join fleetwood mac and Lindsay on the road he wasn't thrilled no. <laughs> <laughs> and um since the band was becoming so huge um you know he worried that the lifestyle of drugs press and fans was going to be really difficult for her to handle she said she could handle it and he said all right well you've got a job waiting for you when you get back and if you need anything just call me well that's a good boss right wow Judy Wong, Fleetwood Mac's secretary, also went with them. Carol Ann was getting to know her and said this about her. Judy had long been a member of the Fleetwood Mac family, the ex-wife of Jethro Tull's bass player. She'd arranged the introduction of Bob Welch to Fleetwood Mac and was instrumental in bringing about his four-year stint with the band. Immortalized in the Killin' House album by the song Jewel-Eyed Judy, she'd been indispensable to Fleetwood Mac. She was bright, funny, and had the energy of a thousand people people you'd swear she was a speed freak but she never did drugs always moving always talking and always happy it was like having an asian mary poppins in our list so like a little mini muse thing right there yeah, yeah. i had to add in yeah that's great um in manchester one night the band had been quite cranky and carol ann was kind of pouting about the smelly room and like i remember when i was in liverpool and all of the houses i had been in was just like so musty mm. and my friend henny the one that did the intro for yeah. uh, our theme song was like yeah the english don't have a clue about ventilation oh wow that's interesting yeah um but Lindsay busts through the hotel room and says Get ready, put on something sexy, and hurry up. We're going to Eric Clapton's castle. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So, of course, we know the story of Mick Fleetwood and Eric Clapton because Mick is married to Jenny Boyd. Yeah. And at the time, Jenny Bo or Patty Boyd, Jenny's sister, is married to Eric. So, Patty was living with Eric at this time. Amazing. Yes. So she got ready and she chose a coat that was like, Lindsay was like, wear that one. It's the sexiest one, but it definitely wasn't the warmest one. Oh, and no. it was the winter time Ugh. in England. Men. So she wore it and uh, they all got into cars and headed to Clapton's castle. I just, just imagine being like, hey, why don't you stop by my castle later? No. Like, ugh. She says, for the American contingent of the Fleetwood Mac family, meeting Clapton was on par with meeting John Lennon. We weren't groupies, but who in their right mind wouldn't want to spend time with a musician who is a living legend? And thanks to Mick and Jenny, we were about to do just that. They were groupies. They were groupies. <laughs> um, it's interesting to see how they talk about groupies in this um, book, because honestly, anybody who was not in the Fleetwood Mac family, because they all just dated each other. Yeah. And anybody who was outside of that, who was like a woman that might have had a relationship with the band, was considered a groupie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when they got there, she says that Eric opened the door and there was incense, light, candles that gave him like a halo effect. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I can picture it. Mm-hmm. She says, Mick and Eric pounded each other on the back and we followed them into Clapton's large entry hall where Jenny's famous sister, Patty Boyd, stood waiting, wrapped in a cashmere shawl. Slender, with dark blonde hair and wearing a pale pink lipstick and Bridget Bardot-style eyeliner, she oozed sexuality. Patty, of course, had had two of the most famous men in the world madly in love with her. After Mick and Jenny made hasty introductions, we were shown into a shabby chic gothic sitting room that was decorated with faded velvet couches, floor-to-ceiling brocade drapes, and wonderful little tables full of knickknacks and pictures of Patty and Eric with just about every well-known musician in the world. Incense sticks trailed smoke while candles burned on every available surface and velvet pillows were tossed half-assardly around the floor over an ancient oriental carpet. Lindsay grinned at me as we looked at each other. It was exactly how one would expect a rock star's castle to be. (laughs) We were beyond thrilled. We were soon to find out that two-thirds of the 20 or so rooms had no furnishings whatsoever. (laughs) But we didn't care. Uh, what counted was the ambiance, and Clapton's home had that in spades. Wow. It sounds so 70s, too. These velvet pillows everywhere. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so Christine, Stevie, Jenny, and Patty all went upstairs to Patty's room for girl talk, and so she and Judy were left downstairs with the boys. Aww. <laughs> she said that was fine, because they were having fun with them anyways, but the guys ended up getting falling down drunk, and by the time the girls came down from girl talk, the boys were actually shooting darts at each other. Oh my god. <laughs> so... The, like, Patty and Jenny came down and scolded them, and they were like, Ooh. Uh. <laughs> And, um, eventually, what you think what happened, happened. And there was a huge jam session uh. until the early mornings while the blizzard started outside. Amazing. They all sang while my guitar gently weeps. Oh, my God. Uh, so, Christine, imagine Christine and Stevie yeah. singing to that, too, right? Eric played Layla, and everyone was just totally blissed out. Wow. She knew she... such a magical moment. Exactly. And she knew when it was happening that she was experiencing a real perfect moment that she'd keep with her for the rest of her life. Yeah. So once all the candles were burned down, they all decided to get some sleep, and they were instructed to just, like, find a room. (laughs) Um, the sleep with was, furniture. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> Their sleep was pretty fitful. It was so cold. They didn't have much to keep them warm. And after that night, uh, Carol Ann got a walking pneumonia. Oh, no. And Lindsay had to take care of her for once, though. Aw. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear he did. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> um, after... <laughs> Fleetwood Mac's fame was growing and it was taking a toll on everyone. Um, Lindsay ended up having to get dental surgery. Like he got his wisdom teeth removed and they ended up getting infected because he was smoking and drinking and doing drugs. And so he ended up looking skeletal. Um, She says, Christine, John, Stevie and Mick were hollowed eyed, cranky and ready for a break. The tour had been a huge success, but they were all ready to go home. Yeah yeah so yeah so they just chilled out at Lindsay's house they played records they made love and uh they were just happy that they had survived the tour um they needed they really needed time off she says like without roadies and a grueling timetable yeah so the relationship survived the first tour so yeah we're still still rosy 
Yeah, because yeah. it's hard to travel with somebody, right? Oh, yeah. And it's that's it's definitely like a test, a test to a relationship. Like yeah. I went on a road trip with TJ this weekend, and before we even out of the city, he made a turn. And I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I have no idea why I said it in that tone. You just do your thing." <laughs> yeah. So when she got back to her job, her boss offered her a promotion. He wanted a personal assistant and he wanted her to travel with him to Miami, New York and wherever he had to go produce records. Um, the pay was four times more than she was currently getting. And he oh said God. it wasn't just a job. It was a career. Yeah. But she turned it down. You know it, girl. Yeah. She did talk it over with Lindsay first, but he was just like, how can you Even be spending time with another man? <laughs> oh, God. How can you be traveling with another man? Uh. When I need you. Yeah. Basically, flat out, he said, if you take this job with Ezrin, we'll lose each other. Oh, man. Him he or me. Need- yeah. Or the job or me, yeah, not yeah. him or me. Yeah. yeah. He needed her to be there for him, yeah. not Bob Ezrin. So she wanted to be a recording engineer and she knew that she'd have to work twice as hard and be twice as good as any man to be able to get accepted. And she just couldn't dedicate herself to this at this point. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. He said, Caroline, I want you to move in with me. I want you to go on the road with me. I want us to be together. Trust me. If you don't love me enough to do whatever it takes for us to be together, then you never will. And if you don't love me now, you will never love me, me again. again. Yeah. So yeah. basically he pulled that line on her. Oh, man. So she turned the job down. Ugh. Yep. She These said, men are so needy. <laughs> oh, God. She said, this time I was joining my life with that of the man I loved and embarking on a future that held almost everything that a young woman could want. Love, excitement, travel, fame, money, and rock and roll, that this future would also hold a darkness that would scar my life forever was beyond my comprehension. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing, listeners, that I want us all to really think about for a second. Because we look at the relationships with people like Jimmy Page and Lindsay Buckingham and whoever else, and you're probably like, that is what I want. Yeah. I want to be on the road, and I want to live in a mansion, and I want to be amuse and have these songs sung about me. I know. Me and, and I feel like in a way this is almost kind of like reconciling yeah, for me and for, for sure. everybody to be like turns out I do feel like we have like a, we're more like a cautionary tale, you know? <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. But that's good because it is important to hear that, you know, these dreams that you have aren't necessarily the reality of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's awesome to hear these stories and it's also kind of nice to just like let go of the fact that like yeah, you- it doesn't equal like yeah, there's a lot of like romance and fame and money, but there's so many and mansions and castles, yeah. but that's why I always say it's it's more fun to be the groupie than the wife. Mm. Because at least as the groupie, you get to have the fun and then separate yourself before it becomes something Sure. you know negative yeah yeah Whew. so the last minute details of the second leg of the american rumors tour was being worked out um the english people in the band like christine and mick 
uh, and John were figuring out their green card situation. And so they did some political benefit gigs <laughs> to get in with the politicians. Um, so that'd be easier for them to get the green card. Yeah. Lindsay spent a lot of time doing shoots for magazines, interviews. Uh, meanwhile, they were all going out to fancy restaurants and drinking tropical drinks and margaritas. Hmm. Um, Carol had the exciting responsibility of searching for their new love mansion. I was going to say love nest, but like seriously, it's, it's not a, a nest. <laughs> <laughs> the American tour went great. Nobody got pneumonia. The fans got bigger. Um, her relationship with Lindsay was good. Uh, there was a certain permanence to buying the house together that made her feel really secure. Mm-hmm. They used to um, have to use fake names in hotels. So for rumors, they checked in, they checked in as Mr. and Mrs. Pat Pending. And for Tusk, they were Mr. and Mrs. Ross Hunk. Okay. <laughs> I don't get the joke there. I Ross don't Shunk? Ross Shunk. Ross Shunk? Ross Hunk. Is there some joke that I'm not getting there? I don't know. Anyways, at this point, uh, rituals before the show included everyone being treated to back of the wrist bumps of cocaine. Okay. The minute the band walked into the dressing room. So, like, they just walk in, put out their wrist, yeah. somebody just dab put it. some dab it, and then they, you know, do what they do. Um, for an hour and a half before the show, press and VIP were invited in, but they were all kicked out, leaving only the band and the super-duper VIPs like Carol Ann to do what they wanted or needed to do, which was, no surprise, more blow, and... I can't even imagine what their their nostrils must be like. Mm. <laughs> well i'm like looking at mick fleetwood and stevie nicks now and they actually look really great and healthy so i don't know um but yeah so generally like they would just get dressed and make drinks and be awful to each other like it was bad they were really shitty to each other yeah oh man about cocaine carol says the fact that blow was illegal didn't bother us at all the fact that this drug was dangerous and not only could but would rule and damage the lives of most of almost all of us didn't even cross our minds never once did anyone voice any concern about the fact that cocaine had become not just commonplace but seemingly as necessary as the band's mics mm. basically cocaine had become just a fact of life within the world of fleetwood mac and for some of us myself included it would become one of the most important band rituals of them all wow yeah she tells some pretty funny um stories about how they stopped allowing famous musicians backstage because one time rod stewart was wandering around <laughs> and had one of his people go tell carol ann that rod requested that he no. would like to have her no yeah and so oh, rod is so gross rod didn't know that she was Lindsay's lady had okay. he, when he did find out he got the hell out of there but before- that's still so like he had he had someone else request that's what she said she was just like seriously you're sending people over to like so somebody jokingly told Lindsay about this and he freaked out and pretty much denied access to anyone but the band and family backstage from then on wow actually we find out later in the book that the crew roadies etc had been warned to stay away from carol even just being friendly so every time she'd like want to talk to them or just like say hi they'd be too busy to talk to her and she didn't find out for years later that's awful yeah and like she never gave Lindsay any reason to doubt her faithfulness she was all in for him but he was really possessive and jealous that reminds me of prince and maite where he kind of told everyone backstage like don't 
like leave her alone don't invite her out don't do anything because he wanted her on call all the time and i know right around this time began began a series of house break-ins and home invasions for carol and Lindsay. and i think there was like a total of three and three or four uh in the book that she talks about that their house had been burglarized and broken into and just like a whole bunch of weird shit happened yeah so the first time like guitars drums recording equipment their new tv was taken her lingerie was strewn all over the place bed sheets were taken that's crazy around this time um she also started noticing little glances between um mick and stevie because there was Ooh. a relationship brewing there. Yeah. Even though Mick was married to Jenny, and sometimes she'd be in the same room with her back no. turned when Carol would see Mick like adoringly touching Stevie's cheek. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Lindsay started to display weird behavior in terms of his health, disorientation, nausea, shortness of breath, until one day he had a full on epileptic fit. Wow. He was diagnosed with epilepsy. Wow. And so he was, of course, like, our dear Ian Curtis told to go to bed early, take medication. Don't do blow. Don't do blow. <laughs> and when Lindsay was in the hospital, the band sent flowers, but nobody visited him. Oh, wow. But Fleetwood Mac were using even more cocaine, more alcohol, more weed. Oh, yeah. Tempers were crazy. Hangovers were severe. <laughs> um, and there were times during the middle of a show that Carol would actually go on stage and give Lindsay extra doses of Dilantin so that he wouldn't have a seizure on stage. Wow. She would stay up nights just watching him to make sure he was okay. She must have been so stressed out. Um, wait until you figure out how stressed out. It, gave, it ended up giving her a condition. Oh, wow. She didn't want him to know how sick and defenseless he was. She says, it was a burden that I willingly, t- I willingly took on because I was hopelessly in love with him because I was a young woman who truly believed right up until the end that love could conquer any darkness. Aww. And I was very, very wrong. Very young. Yeah. Um, the band was really getting used to a higher status of living and touring. They were getting more used to the fame, uh, the money that was pouring in, and the adulation that comes from being at the center of a new universe seemingly spinning around us yeah. and only us. Mm-hmm. The band members had their own castles. They would shop like create like not an actual English castle, but like I gotcha. you know big yeah. big houses. Because when I'm saying Air Clapton's castle, I mean castle. castle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they would shop like crazy during their breaks because they had no time to do it on tour. Mm. Um, they all went to the American Music Awards because they were nominated for Best Album of the Year and Best Band of the Year, of which they won both awards. Nice. So by the time they got out of the limo to walk into the studio or into the award ceremony, Lindsay was bombed. <sighs> mm-hmm. And when they were sitting uh, in their seats, like second from the front, right by the aisle, yeah. um, Stevie gave Lindsay a pill. Oh, no. Um, or he took one from her or whatever. Yeah. And Carol Ann says, Stevie's pension for pills to help her sleep, diet, relax, or get zonked was a well-kept secret within the band. With a mental shrug, I assumed that Lindsay was taking one of her pain pills. In the excitement of being in the a- at the AMAs, it didn't even cross my mind to ask him what kind of pill he was taking or where he'd gotten it. Oh, no. Whenever the lights would go off, you could hear all the sniffs. Oh, God. <laughs> Not only for- not only from the band but of record company yeah, execs yeah. because it was i'm just sign like i'm imagining like one giant sniff like in the whole room <laughs> yep 
Um, they won their first award of the night, and when Lindsay got back to his seat, he took Carol's face in his hands and talked about how much he loved her. That's when she realized (laughs) he had taken a quaalude. She says, as I snuck another look at his glazed expression, I knew that he downed, God help us all, a quaalude. Oh, no. For those readers not initiated in the powers of a quaalude, a prescription (laughs) drug of the 1960s and 70s, the pill's effect was literally mind-altering. Manufactured as a pain pill, it was the side effects that made it beloved by all those who partook of illegal drugs. Quaaludes were the original love drugs. Their effect was euphoric, mellow, and best or worst of all, the poor hapless soul who was stoned on a quaalude loved everyone and everything <laughs> in sight. It was a great drug for sex, trust me on this, and a great drug for a wallowing in the complete hippie-like abandoned. Quaaludes were so popular that their abuse was a national epidemic in the U.S. Even though most of the people who we knew bought them illegally, anyone could get a prescription from a friendly doctor. Yeah. So you can actually go online and see the american music awards can you tell the second time he goes on to accept the award he goes to the wrong side of the stage falls up the stairs and basically needs to be carried up by stevie but the they did a pretty good job editing it yeah yeah um and then she noticed that when he sat back down that his normally curly and puffy hair was flattened down at the top (laughs) And so she didn't think much of it, but she knew he would be humiliated if he knew this. Like, so she's like, what What was that about? Anyways, on the way home, he puked in the car and then she brought him home and held him up in the shower until she put him to bed and he passed out. The next morning in the LA Times, she saw the reason his hair had been flattened. Oh, no. She says. Sitting on the couch, I opened it to the calendar section, wondering idly if there would be anything in it about the AMAs. I wasn't disappointed. Finding the page, I let out a string of expletives that would have made Christine proud. Up in the right-hand side was a big picture of Fleetwood Mac taken the night before the show. Stevie, Christine, John, and Mick were all smiling happily, holding their little gleaming awards. A fairly normal pose for a winning rock band at the AMAs. And then there was Lindsay. <laughs> wearing a gigantic mexican sombrero on his head he was <laughs> grinning like an inmate from an insane asylum while snapping his fingers like a calypso dancer in front of the camera lens <laughs> where the hell did he get the hat i don't know <laughs> oh, man. i tried to find the picture online yeah. and i couldn't oh. If anyone has that photo, please, please show it to us. Especially because, like, you know he's so vain and he yeah. really cares about what people see of him. Yeah. And oh, I just love it. That's too good. <laughs> Carol started a new career at this point, modeling. Um, she says that. This probably meant more to me than it would to other women. When I was growing up in Tulsa with my six sisters, I'd always felt very insecure. I was insecure about my looks. I'd been very, very thin my entire life, and I despaired of ever being able to even look pretty, much less desirable. I was insecure about my clothes. My family didn't have a lot of money, and I wasn't able to shop for most of my school clothes. I sewed my own dresses, and I'd spend hours trying to make them look store-bought. And I was insecure about my ability to achieve as much as my older sisters, who all seemed to be absolutely brilliant. Yeah. 
So they attended the Grammys and she felt like a movie star. She was really amping up her look at this point. Really, the modeling like really taught her how to do her makeup. She had a good friend, um, Bjorn, who was really like advocating for her, helped dress her, all these things. And people were really starting to kind of take notice of her. Cool. And uh, they sat near Bette Midler and David Bowie and Fluid Mac won the Grammy. Cool. Shortly after that, Lindsay started to get really nervous about living up to the rumors success because it was time to start writing and recording for a new album. Within a week, he built a recording studio in their house and was working on the next album that would become Tusk. Cool. And he really didn't want it to be rumors. As much as the band wanted a repeat of rumors, he was like, nope. And it's a great album. I love it. It And I think it's now I think people realize the genius of it, especially because of all the new wave thing he was doing in it. But I don't think people were ready for yeah. it, especially after rumors. So <clears throat> she says, for the first time in our relationship, I would not be just an observer or a good listener during Lindsay's creative journey, but also an emotional participant as I willingly assumed a role that felt as natural to me as breathing. It was a role that would, from that point on, become a critical part of our relationship, for we discovered that I had the innate ability to be a muse for him. A muse who was not, perhaps, the source of inspiration, but one who cleared a path for inspiration to come to him in whatever forms he needed, and it consumed every minute of every single hour of my life. That my role in Lindsay's creative world would almost destroy me piece by piece during my years with him, at that time, was beyond my comprehension. I would eventually become a tool for Lindsay to use in his music, and, as willingly as I was to be so, I didn't see the insidious danger of it until it was much too late. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So she gave him a lot of reassurance. She said that she hardly left the house. They'd been together for almost 24 hours a day since the day that they met. And she was worried that if she left and he needed her when he needed her, that his music would suffer. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So during the recording of the next two songs, she assumed an entirely different persona. Um, As soon as he began to record Not That Funny and What Makes You Think You're the One. Yeah. Both really good songs. That the songs were tinged with anger and sarcasm. She says, Lindsay's personality went through a radical change. He was sexually aggressive, ordered me around like I was his handmaiden, and strutted around the house like a friggin' king. Instead of being his refuge in an emotional storm, I played the part of the subservient courtier. I felt that this was what he needed from me. But the song closest to my heart was Save Me a Place. One day, standing on the balcony of our bedroom, I begged Lindsay to take a few days off so that we could spend time together. He answered that he didn't know how to explain it, but he just couldn't. But if I saved him a place, he'd come running And the album after the album was finished. When I heard that song for the first time, I was overwhelmed by the love in it, and its harmonies were so beautiful that once again, I began to cry. That's sweet. Yeah. She definitely was a muse. Mm. Mm-hmm. With Lindsay's permission, she began to go back to modeling shoots. She was getting pretty close with Jenny Boyd, who had by this time found out about Stevie and Mick's affair. And so she became a bit of a confidant. Um, as we know from reading Jenny and Mick's book, uh, books, Jenny was worried about Mick's drug consumption and her daughters. And so she left him for yeah. one of the first times. Um, there's some interesting stories about, uh, Jeremy, I forget his last name, an older, like not an older, but a previous member of Fleetwood Mac who one day in 1971 just up and left the, the band and joined the children of God. Oh God. You know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like stories of Jenny and Stevie fighting it out at a party at John McVie's house once Jenny found out. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. 
So the abuse started to get pretty bad with Lindsay. Um, Carol had some Polaroid pictures from a shoot she had done, and she showed them to him, thinking, thinking like, oh, he's going to be so proud. Yeah. And he knocked them out of her hands and yelled, no, I don't want to see your fucking pictures. I hate what you're doing. Leave me alone. Go back downstairs and take your stupid pictures with you. Jesus. Yeah. So different than, like, the previous Lindsay. I guess this is where the cocaine sort of starts taking control of the mind as yeah, well. I don't know. Cocaine, touring, epilepsy Strat- medication. Yeah, everything. Yeah. But she took this as he didn't believe in her and that she actually wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, like, and you're just kind of going to start to see how like abuse can really mess with oh, yeah. the victim's oh, mind. Yeah. So eyes would become a pattern. Um, the following day, they didn't speak about what that. Yeah. yeah. Um, they were back on tour. They visited the White House. They went to a party that the Carter sons had put on for them. And that was the night that Lindsay proposed. Oh. One night, they all went out to see Elvis Costello. But he was playing like a country western songs. Weird. Like, and really badly. <laughs> and this really pissed off Lindsay. So he stopped out at the club and Carol followed him. They stopped at a red light. And I'm just going to warn listeners that this gets pretty brutal. So just be warned. This is what happened. Okay. Lindsay slammed on the brakes and sat still for three heartbeats. Without a word, he lunged toward me and wrapped his hands around my neck and started to squeeze. Too shocked to scream, I grabbed his hands and tried to pry them away, but his grip tightened painfully around my throat. His eyes looked lifeless as he stared into mine and his teeth were pulled back in a grimace. Panic surged through me as I fought for breath and my struggles became stronger as the burning pain in my throat increased. Suddenly, Lindsay let go, leaned back, and hit the gas. The tires screeched as we took off at a high speed down the dark street. Oh God, Lindsay, what's wrong? What did I do? What did I do? In answer, he hit the brakes and lunged towards me, once again wrapping his hands around my throat. My head snapped back and forth as he silently shook me. All I could hear was the sound of my own ragged gasps for breath. Just as suddenly as it started, it stopped. He let go of me and put the car into gear. And as I sobbed, he slowly, carefully drove home. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they got home. She goes to their bedroom. And she says, why, Lindsay? I whispered as I looked up into his face. His expression was cold and distant as he stared at me for long seconds. Then his lip curled and he snarled, you're all alike. You're all fucking alike. And once again, he lunged for me. Frantic, I pushed him away as I struggled to my feet and I started to run downstairs, lit only by street lamps. Wow. Um, Filtering through the stained glass windows of the foyer and into the even darker kitchen. So she's, like, curled up in a ball at the kitchen at this point, and he just, like, snaps out of it, goes to her, takes her in his arms, and does the whole, like, I love you, oh, no, no, no. Okay. I I don't think he apologizes, but he brings her back upstairs, they go to bed, and in the morning, it's like nothing happened. Oh, man. And it just started to get worse after this. So there was an escalation, you know? Yeah. Like, there really was. Um, She had asked their friend, Bob Aguirre, to come and live with them at this point. She said it was, like, for him to be an assistant around the house. Like, they needed help. But I think it was probably, like, for her protection as well. And it and it worked. It did help for a while. Um, they had the summer off. But uh, 
even though they had the summer off, they were still super pale with what she describes as a studio pallor. She says that um, they wore it like a badge of honor because if you were tanned in the 70s in the mu- music industry, it was a sign. <laughs> you weren't uh, working? <laughs> yeah, that your career was in the shithouse. <laughs> Yeah. Things were getting a bit better with her relationship with Stevie Nicks. Um, Stevie was in love with Mick and everybody was getting along at this point. Um, Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys started hanging around and began to date Christine. Apparently he was a party animal, womanizer, um, but they really enjoyed having him around. And he provides a lot of comic relief. Oh, I bet. To the story. Yeah. Which, kind of like with you last week, was like, I didn't put it in. I didn't put yeah. in because it's about him and some antics that he did. And so it's not propelling our story, yeah. but basically like read the book. It's there. There's yeah. good points in this yeah. period of their life as well. Yeah. He became a good friend of Carol's and um, yeah, the house was broken into for the second time. And that time Carol was actually there. The intruder had broken a window and she heard it and she locked herself in the bedroom and called the police. They got an alarm system, but she was so scared that she spent most of her time in the studio. Uh, I can't imagine being scared of being at home. I know. It's awful. Such an invasion of privacy. And just like um, Stevie and Mick's relationship was starting to go down. And um, she noticed that Stevie is really upset at the studio one day and was like fiercely writing in her notebook, shooting looks at Mick and the song Angel ended up being about him. Oh, Carol found out that it was because he started having a relationship with someone who was Stevie's closest friend (sighs) and someone who would become Carol's best friend over the next uh, the next 25 years. Sarah Ricor. Wow. I don't know if I said her last name right. Recore? Sarah? Anyways, the song Sarah yeah. um, could be about this best friend of Stevie's. And it's also said that it could be about um, the child that she did not bring to term um, that Stevie had with Don Henley. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. So actually when Fleetwood Mac was up for the award at the AMAs, they were up against the Eagles. And Stevie was kind of having a relationship with Don Henley at that point. And um, yeah, I guess she had an abortion. And she said that if she would have had the baby and if it would have been a girl, they would have named her Sarah. Sarah. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty intense stuff there. Um, Carol talks about Lindsay's volatile personality, that he could be gentle and sweet, but then turn into your worst enemy in a flash. Mm. Jekyll and Hyde. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So Carol, Sarah, and Dennis Wilson all started hanging around constantly and referred to themselves as the three widows in reference to their partners being so fixated on their music. (laughs) She never had a relationship with Dennis of any kind except for friendship. But years later, Lindsay would say in a magazine interview that they did sleep together. But she says for the record, it didn't happen. And she doesn't understand why Lindsay would say that it did. Yeah. Um... An interesting, another interesting story about Dennis that I'll just go into a little bit is that he did spend time with the Manson family. He invited them all to live with him in his home. Yeah. Fell under their spell. Yep. But he said that once, and actually helped Manson record some music, Mm -hmm. but he said that it was so scary that he destroyed the tapes and and evicted them from his house. And that house was where Sharon Tate lived. What? Yeah. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Whoa. And so that's why Manson picked that house. He wasn't living there anymore. I don't know if he knew that or not, but there's a reason that house was picked, and it was because of the Wilson connection. 
Shit, man. Yeah. Okay. Whew. So it was sometimes uh, just her and Sarah on their girlfriend night, and they were the ones that made the cassettes together. Um, they would tape all of their conversations. They talk about their lives, adventures, opinions, and everything that was going on with Fleetwood Mac. Um, that would have made a great podcast. Right? <laughs> I wonder if she still has them. Mm-hmm, I wonder. They had uh, recording equipment at their disposal and wanted to make use of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, she went for a sleepover at Christine McVie's house one night. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah, it is cute. And Lindsay gave his blessing. And he even called them a few times that night. But when he showed up in the morning, he changed his tune. Yeah. She thought he was happy about this new friendship. Um, but in the morning, he walked into Christine's house. And so she came down and was like, Lindsay, what's going on? And without saying anything, he hit her so hard that she was knocked <gasps> off the staircase into the wall. Oh, my God. And then he just walked out the door. Yeah. So she followed him, asking what was wrong. And... Yeah. He still was just like in that zone, I guess. Huh? So she goes up to the window and she says, and I'm going to say another warning for listeners, get graphic. Before I could say another word, he grabbed a fistful of my hair and floored the gas. Uh. Jerked forward, I desperately tried to hold on to the car door as I was dragged by the hair down Christine's driveway. I could hear her screaming, Lindsay, stop the car. Stop. Stop. Uh. Over the sound of Lindsay's voice muttering unintelligible words as I stumbled to my knees, still trying to hold on. Then I was falling as Lindsay finally let go and the gray of pavement filled filled my vision as I hit the ground and suddenly it was quiet. Wow. That is like so horrible. I think that's probably one of the worst things that I've read so far that somebody has done. Not saying that like not like that worst things i don't like i know it's just that's the worst that i've heard picturing it is so horrifying i can't even like oh my god yeah man and so like i used to always show this video um lindsey buckingham's trouble so that he that song's off of one of his solo albums that he did and we'll talk about it in in a bit but um like i can't even watch that anymore like I, i i was over at my friend's house last weekend and we were just putting on funny videos and usually one of my go-tos is trouble by Lindsay Buckingham because he's such a supreme dickhead in that video that it's funny and he doesn't mean to be funny but he's just just the looks that he gives to the camera and like I can't even I can't anymore oh my god oh I feel so bad for her so she checked herself into a hotel thinking that he was under a lot of pressure. He didn't mean to hurt her. He loves her. He Giving didn't mean excuses, it. Yeah. She'll try to be better for no. him because this has to be her fault. Yeah. He wouldn't do this without a reason. Like that's her thinking. Yeah, of course. The next morning he showed up at the hotel room door telling her that he loved her. Um, there was no apology, no explanation. And they went home. <sighs> yeah. So Fleetwood Mac were to play Madison Square Garden and she and Lindsay went shopping for completely new wardrobes. Uh, They went to Armani and they needed two store employees to help them load their purchases into the car. Um, She made up Lindsay Buckingham's new look for him that would rock and shock. I I made that up myself. Rock and shock. That's my words. Everyone and actually make him become a huge sex symbol. Cool. So So many of these women. 
I know. It's the period where you see him, he does not have curly hair and a beard anymore. It's when his hair is completely short, he's clean shaven, and he's wearing really sharp suits and dark eyes. Okay. And it went with Tusk's like new wave feel. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. I can picture. Yeah. So at that point, like the band was like, holy shit. Like (laughs) Christine was like, you know, you look gay, right? Like, you know. Yeah. And um, they were all just kind of shocked at his like really new persona. And it brought him a lot of attention when he got up onto the stage. And like the women started going crazy for him. And Caroline was almost like, oh, my God, what did I do? (laughs) I just made him into a sex symbol. But nowhere in the book did she ever talk about Lindsay having any affairs. Okay. So he seemed pretty loyal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Lindsay was fueled by this. He was fueled by the band's rage. He liked the idea that he was upstaging Stevie for once. Mm. Um, And then the band was fueled by him. So they wanted to get back their good performances. And apparently it was one of some of the best performances they've ever done. I bet. So Lindsay was being written about like as bringing a fresh new wave approach to an already superstar band. And before the press and the media was super obsessed with Stevie, it was now like Lindsay's time. The competition is strong there. Yeah. And they were always trying to upstage one one another. Um, I heard a story that Stevie Nicks says that that she signed the copy of Belladonna, her solo record, and gave it to... Lindsay and like he just left it yeah and he would like make a joke about her song that she with Tom Petty stop dragging my heart around yeah. he'd say like stop dragging my career around but he was just jealous because obviously yeah, that song's the best um by this time like they would get into limos and the limo company would provide provide them with cocaine wow yeah just like as a little like <laughs> here's a present thanks for driving I'd with like us to order a limo and some cocaine yeah she went on a modeling interview with Eileen Ford, who loved her look, but she was too short to get in with them. So it was actually a relief because they were based in New York. And of course, she wouldn't be able to be Not away there. from Lindsay. But she got signed to an agency in L.A. Cool. She says, since meeting Lindsay, I'd sworn vows out of love for him to help him in any way that I could with his music. I'd lived for him in his career, and it hadn't been all that easy. Dealing with Stevie and her history with Lindsay, learning how to nurture a musical genius and coping with the ups and downs of his personality, navigating the creative process and mood swings, the blackest of which I knew only too well, dealing with the way that his music seemed to rule our daily lives." She talks about the money that the band was spending at this point, grand pianos and hotel rooms whenever they wanted it, and yes, hotel rooms being painted pink. Wow. For Stevie. Wow. Yeah. Imagine having that much power. Mm-hmm. After the tour, Carol and Lindsay went to Hawaii and detoxed, returning to L.A., but coming home again to find that their house had been burglarized. Um, at this time, a wealthy record executive had been killed in his home and his girlfriend i don't think she was killed but she was like there when it happened plus with the manson murders yeah happening, like things like were really similar. scary in hollywood and people like wow yeah um that's crazy so this is interesting carolyn modeled for the eagles and their songbook uh the long for the long run album and you can find those pictures online cool yeah um she even looks like i find she looks a little bit like stevie next too the band was used to flying in their own jet, but for some reason, when they were heading to Australia, they rode commercial. 
And at the airport on the way to Australia, Lindsay got an idea for a song and asked Carol Ann for a tape so that he could record it. Oh, no. So she... You, you know it. Yeah, exactly what you think. Um, okay. So she handed over a tape to him thinking it was just a mixtape. Yeah. No. Oh, no. It was one of her girlfriend tapes. Yeah. And once he heard it, because he because he recorded his thing and, and then he recorded it, he listened to it. And then afterwards, she said she could see his face just changed and he went ballistic. She said she was only talking about going shopping and their road manager, JC, being a gentleman and how she felt really safe when he was around. But Lindsay freaked oh. out. Um, they rode the entire plane ride in silence. Wow. The tension. And she was terrified the whole time. I bet. As they walked through the terminal, Lindsay was squeeze. Lindsay was squeezing her arm, almost dragging her. <sighs> She'd stumble and he'd jerk her back up. And once they got into the hotel room, um, he threw her on the bed and he just said get comfortable angel now we're finally alone we can listen to this together and she said "Lindsay, don't i begged as tears started to flow say shut up (sighs) i want you to hear this with me together baby so we'll know what a bitch you are that's what you are isn't it a little bitch that i can't so much as fucking trust and then i was gonna read the rest of what happened but it like I said, it's elevating and it's yeah. getting so disturbing that yeah. I'm not going to go there. Okay. Um, but as you would point. imagine, yeah. he punched her. He pulled out her hair. He choked her until she passed out. <sighs> oh, my God. And then he sent her away. He made her leave Australia. Her bags hadn't even been unpacked. <sighs> well, I'm glad she's away from him. Not for long. <sighs> he called her a few days later and told him... Or she told him that she wanted to talk and he just said, there's nothing to talk about. I miss you so much. Oh, my God. Come to Hawaii. And she says, I knew I hadn't done anything wrong to cause his rage. But at the same time, I felt that it must be my fault for not knowing how to keep it from happening again. And I truly believe that if I tried hard enough, was smart enough, loved long enough, that I could save us both from whatever demons started, seemed to be following us. I knew I had to try. That's so upsetting. So he became a dickhead on stage too, um, imitating and mocking Stevie with her shawls. And then he even started kicking Stevie's legs on stage, which stunned the audience. I bet. Oh, my God. Yeah. She did join them in Hawaii and she began to have terrible headaches and nightmares. And just like you were saying, she must be under so much stress. Yeah. It really started to catch up with her. Yeah. Um, after Australia, after the incident on stage, the whole band were walking on eggshells with each other and they finished the Tusk tour on a pretty subdued note. Mm. Yeah. In Germany, um, they pulled up to their hotel, I think it was one time, and there was a whole bunch of limos outside, which they weren't used to because then there was no room for their limos to pull up. (laughs) But when they walked in, they realized it was because this Mick Jagger was in town and he was sitting on a couch with just like one little space beside him and the whole entourage, his whole entourage was around him. And he pretty much just had the Fleetwood Mac people line up and just sit with him like five (laughs) minutes at a time. And like Stevie and Christine were all like, like over him. But this really pissed Lindsay off. So he left, went to the bar, had two shots, came back. And when it was his his turn, he sat beside Mick Jagger and said, so I heard you like to suck Tom Petty's dick. What the fuck? What? Pretty much. So Mick Jagger was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I read an article that you like to suck his dick. (laughs) And Mick Jagger was like, well, I said that I liked his music. He's like, no, no, I heard that 
Oh, yeah. man. And then so he left Mick Jagger humiliated, got up and left. Because he couldn't stand it when other people yeah. were fawning over anybody yeah. else. Like, he had so such a insecure. crazy ego. So insecure. And he's obviously losing his yeah. ever-loving mind at this point. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It must be upsetting to kind of, you know, be older now and look back at your most successful period and know that you really didn't get to enjoy it because... You were, you know, doing so much drugs and you were, like, so insecure. And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had done uh, sold at shows at Wembley Stadium and it was time to go home for a four-week break. She was experiencing terrifying attacks of illnesses that seemed to come out of the blue. Nausea, chest pain, headaches. Panic attacks. Panic attacks. She was giving heart medication and anti-anxiety drugs. Oh, man. Putting her own health aside, she joined the band on the end of the Summer Tusk tour. She says it was the last six weeks of a grueling year-long tour and everything had a sameness to it now. The cities went by in a blur of chaotic hotel rooms, limos, and sold-out shows. The fights between band members were repeats of the ones that had gone on before. The same words, same accusations, same anger, same everything. Mm. Everybody's health was suffering. Yeah. Everybody in the band in their own way. Um, they were all self-medicating. They toured for a year, grossed millions, and turned to zero profit. No one could figure out where the money went. Yes, there were drugs, pink hotel rooms, pianos, limos, but they pretty much, like, there was no investigation. There was talk about embezzlement, stealing, not by Mick, but basically Mick Fleetwood's management had mm. f completely failed the band. Yeah. Um, JC, their tour manager, was fired. Okay. Um, Mick had been taken off as manager and it was pretty much the end of an era yeah um many of the band members were also working on solo projects at this point mm -hmm. yep carol says we went to hawaii for a month's stay at the kalahala kahala hilton this time we rented a cottage right on the hotel's beach and spent the first three weeks baking in the sun eating coconut cream pie and sipping tropical drinks feeling restless we decided to island hop and pay a visit to john and julie's wonderful little house in maui they had a house guest i was anxious to see Sarah, three months after the end of the Tusk tour, in January 1981, Lindsay, Bob, and I moved into our home in one of the most exclusive areas in all of Los Angeles, Bel Air. This is after they got back. Yeah. Our one-story home rested on a beautiful mountaintop and had a 180-degree view of the metropolis below. We'd had it extensively remodeled so that the once-conservative ranch-style house was now an eclectic mansion with glass walls. Wow, sounds gorgeous. Yeah. Apparently there's like a rain room that you go into this room and you get to see. And then if you turn a button, it all it was, comes down. Rain. Wow. Lindsay was working on his own material and new Fleetwood Mac stuff. Um, of course, he was busy and frustrated, frustrated when he had to work on Fleetwood Mac stuff. And he took it out on Carol. The band recorded the album in France. Something about Mick having to leave to avoid taxes and the government. OK. And at communal lunches, the band wasn't even speaking to each other. She says that stress and anxiety were part of her everyday existence. The medication did not help. When she saw a doctor back home, he said that she didn't have a physical disease, but it was being triggered by psychological stress. Yeah. She says that she lived and worked. She lived in a work where in a world where chaos and anxiety were considered normal. 
The behavior I'd witnessed over the past five years made anything I'd ever done seem like a child misbehaving at Sunday school. The anger and vendettas among the band members made the mafia look tame in comparison, not to mention the incestuous relationships, drugs, drinking, and insane antics. Granted, I could be crazy too, but my only vices were sarcasm, doing blow with the band, and a fondness for shopping. (laughs) So she checked into the Ridge Hospital where she stayed for a week, speaking with psychiatrists and enjoying some quiet time to herself, although Lindsay did visit every day. Um, Lindsay was recording the solo album Law and Order which uh, Trouble is on yeah and he wanted her to sing a song on the record which she didn't want to do but um, it was a 1950s pop hit about two ex-lovers blaming each other for their breakup and it was actually a premonition for the end of their relationship wow interesting and everybody's going thank god like (laughs) this relationship (laughs) needs to end yesterday yeah (sighs) So, actually, fun point, fun fact, at this point, Stevie Nicks was dating Jimmy Iovine. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. that no, they dated. I didn't either. Um, and actually, he was the one that did Belladonna. Mm-hmm. So, Fleetwood Mac were working on Mirage, and it was a lonely time because the, in the year and a half of living in their new house, no one from the band was, band was invited to come by. Wow, it really says a lot. Yeah. One day, the band did come over to celebrate the album, and she ended up showing them her bootlegged... Um, music yeah which made her really miss feeling like she accomplished something on her own i see so walter egan's band was recording in the recording studio at the time and carol is actually on the back cover of magnet and steel cool that's her if you find if yeah, you have yeah, that album yeah. i think i have it actually cool yeah so we can look at that please um around this time carol found out two devastating things one that had she had a congenial heart defect and she told Lindsay about it and he like didn't even bat an eye he didn't care he just talked about how bored he was on the road without her okay so she was like okay i'm just gonna like get some like de-stress and i'm gonna move around my living room just get a new feng shui happening and after she was moving all of the furniture she was in so much pain that she just like pretty much collapsed on the floor and started hemorrhaging oh my god so she went to the hospital yeah because she's like, this can't be my period. Like, what's going on here? And it turns out no. that she had had a miscarriage, miscarriage, but she didn't know she was pregnant. Yeah. But either way, she was devastated. Oh, Apparently, she had been two months pregnant. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, she was really heartbroken. She says, I don't know what I expected Lindsay's reaction to be. Shock, perhaps, or sadness, or at the very least, concern over mm-hmm. my health. But I got none of these reactions. Instead, I had to endure a 10-minute tirade of accusations about how I was hiding a pregnancy from him. Oh, my God. And to Lindsay, that seemed like the ultimate betrayal. I explained over and over again that I hadn't known that I was pregnant, but he didn't want to hear it. He wasn't listening to anything I said. Ugh. Yeah. So, is she starting to realize? Yeah, we're getting there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not quite yet. All right. But we're getting there. The band was touring at this point. They were still doing a bunch of drugs um, and nothing would give them the spark or the energy that they once had. Like the shows that they were playing weren't great and they didn't even care. Um, it was 1984 at this point and Lindsay started doing movie soundtracks. Uh, things changed for Carol and she was really ready to do something for herself. She was mm-hmm. She'd had enough. And so she started taking acting lessons. And in the fir- for the first time in years, her every waking moment was not spent thinking about Lindsay, Lindsay Buckingham. Good. But do you think Lindsay was happy about this? Nope. No. <laughs> um, not at all. So shortly after she began spending more time on herself, he attacked her again in the usual fashion. 
and she knew at this point nothing she did made a difference to him. She says, on the surface, I was living the fantasy life of most young women. I was in the company of a musical genius. I had material wealth beyond my wildest dreams. My consort was a member of rock and roll's royalty, a poetic, exquisitely tortured romantic. But behind the iron gates, where photographers and reporters never ventured, I felt desperate, alone, and empty. And I needed to do something, anything, to keep from falling apart. I'd found out the truth about fame. I'd learned that for Fleetwood Mac and the inner circle, it came with a heavy price. Yeah, it did. She confided with Sarah about everything. And in turn, Sarah confided to her about Mick's financial problems as he was forced to declare bankruptcy. Acting led her to getting curious and involved in what goes on behind the scenes during movies and like video shoots. And so she was on set for Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself and she was learning how to become a costume designer. She says it was a career that would not only prove to be successful beyond my wildest dreams, but it would also be my salvation amazing yeah Lindsay was a real jerk about everything and he was really cynical about her new passion and he hated the idea of it of course the attention's off him one night at a club Lindsay hurt carol so badly that she went to the hospital she had sprained her neck from being choked and hit so hard finally for the first time she told the hospital staff what was really going on the doctor said I see a lot of women come in here with injuries done to them by their husbands or boyfriends, and they always go back to their men. And then I've seen a few of the same women come in again, and it's too late for me to help them. They leave here in a body bag. It's not going to stop, Miss Harris. It's going to get worse. I know that you think you love him and that you can stop it, but I honestly doubt if you can. Yeah. She needed to hear the truth. Yeah. So she, after, you know, almost nine years of this, got the courage to start the separation with Lindsay. Um, That took a lot of strength. Yeah. Yeah. She went back to him like one more time after that, Mm -hmm. but then did start the separation. Over the next few months, um, they spent hours talking about a trial separation. She said talks full of tears, love and pain that hurt so much that sometimes I felt I could barely breathe. But finally it was settled at my insistence. His business managers had drawn up a prenuptial agreement between us. I didn't want Lindsay's money. I signed papers that gave me $2,000 a month for rent and groceries for a period of three years and signed away my rights to the fortune I could most likely have had as his unofficial common law wife yeah in the event of a permanent breakup wow because we'd lived together for almost eight years i had established all of the prerequisites for a strong palimony case i could have taken him to court if i'd wanted a large settlement of cash but i undoubtedly would have won according to my attorney i'd lived for Lindsay night and day for almost eight years made homes for him took care of him and actively participated in helping to further his career but the thought of all that ugliness that if i followed my attorney's advice and sued made me feel sick Besides, everyone I knew had a lot of money and they weren't happy. Yeah. They just didn't want it. Wow. I think it was also a part of her protecting her, like, dignity yeah. and her identity. I understand. And she said that, like, once she w- was, like, really getting into her acting, people around her were noticing a big change and that she was told that um, when they had first met her, she would always walk with her head down and mm. that she never smiled. And now that she was a completely different person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Lindsay's next album was dedicated to her. Oh. She said, As one song after another blasted through my living room, I sat stunned. Every single song on his album, except one, was about our relationship. Songs that were so full of vindictive rage, blame, 
love and longing that by the end of the record I felt heartbroken, shattered, and enraged. The songs painted a picture of a relationship that was so inaccurate and so unfair that I was stunned. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so like Lindsay obviously blamed her for their breakup and didn't think he had any yeah responsibility there yeah but she went to therapy she was given the tools to start healing she got completely sober sober and eventually became um a successful costume designer and had an assistant of her own she made friends like one day randomly out of the blue Lindsay shows up a year later and asks like her to marry him (laughs) and is like Uh, i want to be your producer and i can produce an album and she's like yeah i'm not interested in the world of music (laughs) um she yeah yeah she already lived that life (laughs) yeah 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 so um and when she was doing costume designing she worked with uh, and designed for billy idol molly crew bon jovi um in the 90s she reunited with her daughter that she had given up who is highly educated beautiful and funny wow that's great yeah she said it was like one of the best days of her it was the best day of her life um, she saw Lindsay one more time at a funeral for their old housekeeper and saw members of the band on and off at weddings and whatnot. To close, I'll read this, um, that what Carol says about her relationship with Lindsay. Yeah. Nine years before, a young girl had fallen in love with a man who, who turned out to be a prince in the kingdom of Fleetwood Mac. Overnight, her life had been transformed. She lived in Learjets, five-star hotels, and mansions. She had material wealth beyond her wildest dreams. But unlike the fairy tales of her childhood, it was a world where love could not triumph over darkness. And in the end, that girl felt lost, lonely, and afraid. In real life, sometimes the girl doesn't marry the prince. Sometimes she walks away from the castle and off into the sunset alone, finding true happiness in the real world beyond. Amazing. Yeah, so many of these women, you know, the the success that comes after is like finding who they are and their true self and not uh, conforming to whatever the man wants them to be. Yeah. 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 I'm so happy for her that she got out of that situation me too that was really good that was intense it was wasn't it that was so intense yeah that was great thanks it was a great book and caroline harris thank you for writing that thank you for sharing and uh we're happy that you got to get out and find yourself and yeah. um i'm looking forward to reading it myself especially kind of knowing um the heavy bits are in there but that there are some lighter moments in there as yeah. well yeah 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 that's great that was great okay so that's it for today yeah thank you for that thank you and uh we'll go check and see what it's like outside and be on our merry way face the world again outside (laughs) of the our muses queendom yes where we just talk about what's going on into microphones what's going on (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right everybody thanks for listening yeah and um hope you like the episode Try to check us out on uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, Inter- the Podcast, internet, Twitter, Shanti and Links, and uh, iTunes. Please rate us. Leave, leave us a, a review. Yeah. 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 Leave us a comment. We appreciate it. And then iTunes is like, hey, cool. Look at this. Look at these little underdogs that exactly. learned how to teach themselves <laughs> how to podcast and edit. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Right. We love you guys. See you next week. See ya.
Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read Podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.